welcome to Agile Engineering. A podcast covering subjects like DevOps, Agile, Development, Cloud, and more. Featuring Liam Gulliver, Pete Gallagher, Louise Paling, Misha Bell, and Jonathan Rell. This is episode 6. Welcome to the Agile Engineering Podcast, episode number six. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be discussing the Agile principles themselves. Uh, joining me, as always, are my co-hosts, Jonathan Ralph. Hello. Louise Paling. Hi. Misha Bell. Ahoy. And Pete Gallagher. Good evening. Uh, let's begin uh, by uh, just quickly, I guess, referencing the fact we've uh, had a couple of months away off, off air. Uh, just because we've taken a much needed break with everything that's going on and uh, work's been quite busy for everybody uh, pretty much as well. So I think the the best place to start uh, is going through what the, the 12 principles are. The 12 Agile principles are our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Number two, welcome change in requirements, even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Number three, deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter timescale. Number four, business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. Number five, build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and the support that they need and trust them to get the job done. Number six, the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face -face conversation. Number seven, working software is the primary measure of progress. Number eight, agile processes promote sustainable development. The sponsors, developers, and users should be able to maintain a consistent pace indefinitely. Number nine, continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. Number 10, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not being done is essential. Number 11, the best architectures, requirements and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. And finally, number 12, at regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. So I guess the one to focus on there is I think the first one, with the our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. So, with that in mind, what do we? Uh, how would we interpret that? What does that mean? Give the people what they want. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that Sorry. Um, an, an MVP basically, the minimum viable pod product, or is that something else? Do you think? I'd say that's something else. I think it's this is about continually delivering valuable software so even after you go past mvp it fits in with the the values here as well i believe uh, so we've got a value of valuing working software over comprehensive documentation and it's it's kind of an extension of that in my opinion yeah it's like we discussed in the previous episode of it, it's it's a direct rewording of one of the core agile manifesto pieces that the the goal of why we're even bothering with this whole project is to get working software under the, out 
out the door. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a rework. It's a more detailed wording of what we talked about last episode. I think it it, it kind of touches on the um, definition we've had of DevOps uh, in a previous episode as well. I think because um, it is it is about uh, that continuous delivery of software, and the earlier we can do it, the the earlier we can get feedback and uh, pivot if you know we get it wrong. Because we will. I think it's clever the way that there is actually the 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 word satisfy is actually quite cleverly nestled in there. That actually it's not just about getting anything in front of the customer. It's something that has to satisfy yeah. their needs as well. I think it's important that it's talking about the customer. It's not just it's not just finishing what you've said. It, it it's not finishing the work. Sorry, it's about getting that work to the customer. Like you say, satisfying them, but it's the person who needs to be satisfied. Isn't the team? Isn't your boss? It's the the customer, the person who will be using this software. Yeah, that continuous delivery. Just making people happy. Yeah. Over promise, under deliver. No, the other way around. <laughs> Not <the bad> way. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You, you know, software should be a joy to use for for everybody. You know, the, and the only way you can find out if it's, in my opinion, it is if it is a thing that is a joy to use, is by getting that feedback, getting it early, getting it often. You know, and putting the the customer front and center should make them a part of that entire journey throughout. There are there are so many places that don't understand that and and do do get it get it wrong. Is it um, possible to over deliver? Or deliver too often as well, where... <laughs> Stop giving us something. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Stop giving me stuff. I don't yes, like it. I, mean, the, 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 I, I, I genuinely think it is. The, the case in point is Windows. Uh, you're sitting there and the last thing you want is a Windows update. Actually, the less frequently they happen, Pete. the better. Pete, are you sure you're allowed to be saying that? <laughs> <laughs> They'll get you. Hey, I'm trying to program. I don't want to update Windows. No renewal for 2021 for yeah. you, Mr. Gallagher. Yeah. I'm still on Windows 95 here. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> don't tell anyone. For me, the obvious example there is uh, when you've got things like Etsy and Amazon and where you've got a website and you've also got an app on your phone. These are the, the unicorns that deliver updates hundreds of times a day. That's brilliant. If your app on your phone wanted to install an update hundreds of times a day, you'd quickly uninstall it. So mm. delivering out of the team is one thing. It's it's at what point you choose to push that to the customer might not be the same thing. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pushing things out of the team. In some cases, the definition of your customer might change slightly. Yeah, expectations because that's actually that's a really good point like yeah it it's it, it the way that it's worded is actually really quite interesting like to satisfy the customer so yeah it all depends on what the customer expects or the customer wants it depends if if you're requiring the customer to spend time with you evaluating whether what you've delivered is is okay then clearly if you do that too frequently then either you're not you're distracting them from their other tasks but what's interesting about Louise's point about there are some services where the customer is unaware that the release has happened. And in many ways, the metrics and the use of the software is being used as the acceptance criteria without formally asking those users, you know, the, 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 face, the Facebook examples where they roll out a feature flag to a 20 to 28 year olds in Chicago and see whether the feature works and they're not risking 100% of their software release. So it's it's. 
the A-B yeah, it's, testing Yeah, it's interesting approach. that that idea of who your customer is and the, f- the type of feedback you're needing to get to validate whether you've delivered uh, valuable software is dependent on the project, I guess. I think just just kind of going off uh, Misha's point a little bit there as well is that it kind of goes both ways. So yeah, we are we are satisfying the customer through that early uh, continuous delivery of valuable software, but in seeking that feedback, we can also manage their expectations on a more continuous basis as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if they are expecting a Ferrari and you give them a Ford Fiesta, you can kind of explain as you go along why that's what you, they're, they're, they're getting and you know if ferrari do want to sponsor the agile engineering <laughs> podcast we will be more than happy to discuss it oh, they wouldn't even need to do, to do it via money you know we, goods would i be would fine. take goods yeah 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 we will satisfy their expectations <laughs> you know um, i mean whilst we're at it uh, uh aston martin if you're listening as well um, I would really, really like to be sponsored somehow with one of the the fluorescent uh, DB11s or Vantages, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clang, yeah, no, the uh, I, I th- yes, very, uh, very good choices. I think the the thing about the 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 feedback loop is is because customers at the start of projects have ex- assumptions, and I think the whole point of agile development in general is to constantly challenge assumptions i think the delivery of frequent like course corrections that like you're, you're talking about the ford fiesta analogy it's like if you can show them that the, the act of building it has um the, the decisions you're having to make about how you're building it may not deliver their assumption the the, the more frequently you can go back and say well this is why then those assumptions aren't they're almost invisible bits on contracts sometimes you almost feel like some people because you've not challenged that assumption they almost assume they're getting even if it's not formally written on on a deliverable interesting yeah so do you mean like they might so the the customer might say i want this and then it's your job to consult with them and say actually yes this might be what you want but this is what you need the thing about working software is that it's a it's it's Nobody demonstrable exactly and also that in any kind of written language is really inspecific about what a customer wants and there's always missing there's always interpretation be that cultural mm. be that um whether they're more technical less technical so th- there's a constantly yep. that needs to even if somebody writes you a specification there's a million ways of solving that problem um and it and, and again it's back mm. to just getting that as, as liam was saying earlier it's getting that feedback early to say well is that is well, that what you wanted that's kind of that's kind of the thing even then that that can be misconstrued i think one of the things that i quite like to do and i'm a big advocate of and i know it takes a little bit of extra time and stuff like that as well um which can be off-putting to people um but having a having a common agreed written down and defined vocabulary between you the, the end user um, if you're building software for somebody or even internal teams within within a business so you know if you're all so various delivery teams working on the same project a build or the word build might be mean one thing to team a something completely different to team b it's back to the old um, programming joke of when a partner asks you know could you please go shopping for me and buy one carton of milk and if they have eggs get yeah. six it's until you actually demonstrate what you are, what you have assumed, even as the delivery team, that what you're being asked for, unless that's the whole point of 
this first principle is just reminding us that regardless of the other 11 that we'll cover over um, maybe other episodes is that the highest priority satisfaction of the customer and that has to be only tested by constant mm. communication and having having clear and consistent communication as well is is a real key thing um you know i, I think even even in the context of this show uh we use a lot of acronyms we use a lot of terms that people might not be familiar with um but we do make as much of an effort as possible to go back and describe them in the terms that we think they they mean or what they mean to us and sometimes even between the five of us they might mean a different thing altogether as well yeah. that's how important it is um and I'll refer you to our episode on what is devops and is it a job no um <laughs> you change from it depends god on no <laughs> i sorry yeah. he's got down off his fence mate yeah uh, <laughs> uh that's that's something that that I've I've uh, helped work along in the break, and that's uh, there is there is no job titles with DevOps in where I currently work now. Um, we well have done. corrected that <laughs> sacrilege. Um, <laughs> but in terms in, in terms of that alone, you know, you do you do have to have that sort of thing, um, and it's it's even more important. So I I uh, and I think. Uh, Pete and Misha kind of have this out of the five of us have this uh, more um, more or a bit more of a microcosm of it than than either Louise or, or Jonathan do because what we do is we work with multiple clients yeah who are different people doing different things in different industries um, and that same terminology can mean something very different to all those uh, different people um and that can cause a headache especially if you have to context switch throughout the day between different clients and stuff like that so trying to get that feedback consistent across multiple projects across multiple clients is is really key sometimes you know you do have to accept the fact that you probably need to bend to the client or the customer's um use of it rather than yours um but nine times out of ten try and push it the 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 other way or at the very least have everybody who is involved with that customer using their terminology i have to say i think that uh talking about bending to what the customer wants and taking on board the customer working closely with the customer really nicely leads us to the second principle <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, so principle two being, we welcome changing requirements, even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. So, in this case, it's customers taking one look at what you've just done and saying, "Yeah, I know you've done exactly what I asked you for. But now that I see blue? it, that's not actually what that, I want." Yeah. Can it be rounded corners, and can you move it half a pixel to the left? <laughs> And it is really, really hard when you're in that moment to welcome that. Uh, this, the, that's the beauty behind this principle, to try and take that step back and embrace that as being a good And it's thing, recursive. Which has worked really well. Yeah, if you've been obeying principle one and these are frequent updates, you've, mm. you've got a couple of weeks worth of work you're showing. And if they say it's not quite right now, it's not actually that big a deal. If it's six months worth of work, that would have been a major problem. 
Mm. That's that going back to 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 the analogy I used earlier. You know, that's how you could end up with the that the understanding that they actually wanted the Fiesta rather than the Ferrari. The Ferrari's flashy uh, and it looks great, um, but it's not something you're going to use every day. Whereas the Fiesta is something that they want to use every day, and in, you know they want to go to the shop in and that kind of thing. And I, I think the using them in tandem as well. It it also shows that done properly, I think. Uh, in managing expectations in both ways, you can pretty much get away with the customer is not always right. Well, we all know the customer's not right. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> no, I was I was just going to say I've I've banged on I've been banging on about um like communication and the power of specificity um, within communication um <clears throat> for a long time now um. I know that I'm not in the you know the kind of tech industry, but um, it it is just as important in all aspects of everybody's life. Um, and yeah, being being clear on yeah, you're right. Everybody everybody needs to be on the same page. And I don't think um, I don't think you have to bend to what a customer you know how a customer prefers to communicate, but more understand how they prefer to communicate and what they interpret as as one thing, knowing that. And then, yeah, just so that you're all on the same page. Um, and then hopefully they won't need to kind of change their mind. But, and also that ties in, sorry, to another point that I was going to say was about um, asking the right questions as well. I think I've made yeah. this point before, but yeah, um, asking the right questions and knowing your stuff enough to be able to ask those right questions. I think there's an art in, in itself, really. I think, you know, you're right there as well. Uh, you, uh, again, out of everybody here, uh, Louise and I have worked directly together uh, and Mishra and I have worked directly together. And uh, it is about that specificity. Um, Mishra and I today have been, have been working through uh, some some possibilities in terms of, of work stuff, but it is very much, even then, you know, one thing to me could mean a different thing to her, could mean a different thing to the person on the end of, of whatever we're doing. Um, and it is it is tough because thankfully, you know, we work together enough that I think we can uh, pretty easily pick up on, on, on what we're trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always that simple. But we, we can do that because we've built that rapport. We've built that relationship over yeah. a number of years and so on. But if it's someone brand new that you're coming in uh, with, uh, you do have to probably communicate, over-communicate, in fact, yeah. um, to make sure that you have all of that um, understanding and, and build that rapport as quickly as possible. Because the quicker you can get to that understanding, the easier it is to understand what they want, which means potentially you don't have to worry so much about that constant change of requirements or um, it is easier to understand the change that they want because another risk is that they say, okay, I want it red, but I don't want that red. I want uh, I, I want this bit red, I want this bit pink, and I want this bit magenta. Um, <laughs> but when, yeah. you know, it, it, could be, it could just be... Prevention uh, very, cure. very quickly point out that we are now talking about point three, uh, third principle. <laughs> software frequently <laughs> At least from a couple of weeks attention. to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter time scale because the conversation is yeah. just naturally going on. I was going to say, like, on, just on, on principle two about changing requirements, I think that the thing you have to catch yourself is if you are objecting to a customer identifying that their needs have changed, then the objection to that is waterfall 
if you wanted everything locked in stone at the start of the project and never changing, you've really got to look at your. <laughs> you've really got to Fixed look cost. at yourself hard and go, Fixed "Am I banner. agile?" There's not. That's. It's not inherently bad. I know that's controversial, and I don't actually believe it when I say it, but it, it isn't inherently inherently bad. It mm-hmm. does work for some people, um, and, and you know we are all are on on this show big advocates of don't just adhere to one specific methodology, framework, etc. Pick the bits that you want, build something that makes sense for you. You know, if you're um, Acme Inc, build an Acme Inc process out of the bits that you want uh, that work for you. Shout out to Alistair Coburn's Oath of Knowledge Agents. Well, like my, one of my old lecturers used to say, you would never build a nuclear power station in an agile manner. Well, there's a good reason for that. Um, On all of those points, when I mentioned the MVP right at the very beginning of that conversation, I use MVP as as every feature I want to create rather than the whole product. Uh, if somebody is asking me to add a new page to uh, to a website or a new form to a to a desktop app then when uh when i'm developing that i try to give them a version of that as early as possible and i'd still call that the mvp it's just the mvp for the feature rather than for the product ah. so uh that, yeah. that sort of ties into the first four points i think for me in that i try and uh, have as many conversations as early and as fast as possible so that i can figure out whether or not i've got the wrong end of the stick uh, and whether they've got the wrong end of the stick as fast as possible. Um, I think it was as Louise said, we don't want six months worth of work to get canned. I'd rather, you know, a week's worth get modified. It's very rare that you'd do something that would get completely canned. But I think if you did something over the course of six months, I think that could be a possibility. You could have to can the vast majority of that or all of it because you based it on a faulty premise, uh, you know, a foundation of sand. So. Yeah, that, that's sort of where I was coming from for MVP, but I think I'm probably uh, bastardising that term a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, one of the things to, to, to bear in mind is, or I guess the question that I have here is, considering these first three points, you know, it is customer-centric, we're talking about change requirements and embracing that change um, and making sure we're delivering that software that works frequently where does hypothesis driven development fit into all of this you know if i have a hypothesis that by changing this button to have rounded corners i'm going to increase my sales by 20 percent is that um i mean this i'm actually i could be going into point four here because <laughs> it could be you know marketing or whatever um is that coming from the customer is that coming from your analytics is that coming from the business is that coming from yourselves because you have a good feel or a th- or, or a theory about that who becomes the customer in that i scenario? think that this is gray territory that i've seen plague an awful lot of teams where you have assumption driven development that people write stories as if they are definitely going to add value to the project and really should be written as, and I've mentioned this before, you know, as a developer, I assume that because unless you can tie it back to the satisfaction of the customer and an actual goal-driven development, I I question whether it's actually the priority to, to, to get it out there. And I think I think the problem is is that maybe the customer hasn't looked at all of the aspects of this, of what they want to deliver and therefore they don't know. 
Um, but I think you have to go back and have that conversation with the customer rather than just assuming. I think it's a really good point that Liam was talking about hypothesis-driven development and Jonathan, you're talking about assumption-driven development. And I think it's very, very easy for one to fall into the other. Assumptions generally bad unless they're very explicit. Whereas with hypothesis, you're you're putting something out there that, and you're saying right up front, I could be completely wrong about this. And I think if you treat your your assumptions like that and make sure you've got the things in place to test them, it can work the same way you're doing anything else in an agile manner. And like Liam says, we're into point four, which for the record, business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. To So you're not just in your little development bubble, you're working with the rest of the business, with your customers to say, we think if we make this button blue, 50% more people will click on it. And then you're just off into a normal agile project. But at the end, you've also got that measurement step to say, did we get our hypothesis right? Or did we prove our hypothesis? I don't know that much about hypothesis-driven development. I've only seen it relatively recently. Wouldn't you just A-B test it? Well, it's kind of, that's kind of, yeah. Uh, one, that's, one, that's one flavour. Yeah. You know? The problem with the hypothesis is the length of time it might take you to develop something that you're guessing about effectively, I guess, in my opinion. And that goes back to that, that first point of uh, early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Um, now that that value bit is is huh. something I just want to touch on, uh, and it's something that that Jonathan mentioned in what he was saying. How do you measure the value of a thing that you are adding with that before you've added it? How do you know what the value of the the story is, or what the the thing that you're planning to create? Can you know? Well, if you're an Amazon uh, and you're measuring revenue, then you can, and you can measure bounce rates and click throughs and um, and all of that lot with with web stats, and you may have some of that telemetry for for desktop stuff as well, but and apps on your phone. But assuming assuming you don't have that, assuming it's a new a new feature, because I've I on a whim, uh, I decided that what I want to do is I want to start selling holidays through Amazon, for example. Yeah, why not? But that's still a hypothesis. You can still you can still come up with I expect this to produce a five percent upsell uptick in sales and it may be that that assumption is incorrect but at least you're gathering the right data to prove whether it did have an effect or not so i think you can still you can make assumption driven um basis for for, for ga- gauging whether your feature is actually delivering what you thought it would i mean i guess my question around that is what what's the thing that justifies the assumption or the hypothesis in the first place not necessarily the outcome there but if i'm if i'm saying okay well i, I want to make this this button blue and i'll get those 50 percent more clicks what is the what's the driving information from um concept to the to the story being written so i can assign a value to the story a bit an actual business value to the story um that makes it the, the next weighted thing that I would do. Same as you would do anything else. You work with your product owner, you work with the business, you work with the customers, and you say, we think this is a good thing. How much time do it take? Will it, do we think it'll take to, to prove the hypothesis? And how valuable do we think it is compared to everything else in the backlog? Prioritise as normal. I think, I think sometimes we can overthink these things. It's what you were saying earlier, Liam, about using things from different 
methodologies rather than just one, but they can mix together. So yes, hypothesis-driven development is might be different than how you're doing all of the rest of your development, but you can have a hypothesis-driven development story amongst a backlog full of more traditional stories. Yeah, I think I think it, 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 what you'll quickly find is that customers that aren't clear with what they want um, suddenly start realising that agile development is a partnership because you keep going back to them with questions that they've not thought about. And they, uh, it's kind of like, it's it's interesting watching the relationship grow over a project to realise that the reason you're asking those questions is not to be annoying, it's to actually deliver something to them faster. And I, and I think in some respects the... You know that there is still some naivety sometimes in project kickoffs where people will go, "Can you just make this and make it happen for me?" Expecting you to suddenly yeah, magic FDI. Yeah, exactly. And you suddenly get the magic wand out and it works. I won't clarify what that acronym means on this podcast. One thing I think it's worth saying as well is that the point of hypothesis-driven development isn't to deliver working software. It isn't to implement the hypothesis. It's to prove whether your hypothesis is true or not. So in some cases, you, that that story around that that's got a hypothesis in it you might prove that by sending out a survey by asking people who is interested oh, li- in this. like literal market and then research once, yeah and once you've proven your hypothesis has legs you then might have a more traditional story to actually go and implement it properly or it might just be a mock-up and saying you know can people come and play with this website that's got nothing behind it but you're proving your hypothesis hmm. or when did hypothesis when did hypothesis-driven development come around? It's kind of Have I missed been there, something? Really. I feel like I've missed something. I, I, I don't know whether it's a commonly used phrase. It's certainly something Liam and I have used a lot in the past. It's probably more commonly heard of as a lean startup methodology. Yeah, I, I think uh, even even then, even pre-lean startup, it's, it's been around because software's been around for for decades, um, and. You know, you you build a piece of software because you've got an idea or a theory or that yeah. that you want to do, right? Um, yeah. And it's it's true of any any consumer product today. It's I think uh, I if I did this, it would be better than X, or it would give, it would solve problem Y for for these sort of people. But do you think um, do you and think you principle three though it. deliberately plays into this? Where effectively what delivery working deliver working software is saying is minimum viable product it's test one hypothesis at a time don't try and run for longer than you should do that's one of the key principles of a b testing though isn't it like to do one thing at a time because otherwise there are too many variables that come into play and you can't you're actually muddying tell your data aren't you yeah but also with a, like a hypothesis driven development wouldn't you just think about the reason why you thought of it in the first place and use that as like, i mean no i yeah, yeah and, and and you you're quite right because I think that you've actually you hit the a point there with a, a lot of people come time sometimes solutionize and the the difficult thing is to go back and say why do you want this what what mm. are you what are you actually trying to achieve with this suggestion and I think that's yeah. the question that sometimes is is skipped because you get a new requirement you don't have the relationship with the the customer you should really go back and challenge. Well, I, just to make sure that I'm going to the goal that you want, um, what are you actually trying to achieve? Yeah, I this was I knew that this rung a bell. This is reminding me very strongly of when we had Devin on, and I suggested context-driven development as yes. a thing. It hasn't taken off yet, but it will. I have to. Um, I have to do exactly like Jonathan just said there regularly with my 
with my customers. Often I'm not dealing with people who are technical. I do have a couple of really technical people I deal with, and that's sort of a completely different methodology where I don't have to go through that. But mostly it's end users and sort of non-technical end users. And so they say, can you make it do X? And you really do have to figure out why they want to do that. Not only to, to sense check that they understand what's going on, but if you go back far enough, then it can also help you implement because it could be that they want X, but they also want, you know, A, B, C, D, E along the way to make X work. And you don't understand that. So, um, yeah, to walk through that, uh, often just getting off a blank page of, of drawing something on a piece of paper will, will prompt that conversation. It's, it's yeah, really invaluable, a really good point. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So do you, as developers, or, you know, people that have been developers... Have you worked with business people daily? And by business people, all the business people? Is it, you know, or do salespeople count as business people? No, they don't count as people. Okay. <laughs> and we've just alienated 25% of our audience. Yeah. How <laughs> um, Yeah, it varies. Like, it's, it does... Um, it depends on the context at which you sit within the business. You, know, you have your product owners who, uh, in my opinion, and based on some of the, the conversation we had with Devon, is they are the, the, the conduit to transform what the business wants mm. into something that you can do, you know, into your requirements and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, it's, it's having that uh, translation person, effectively, uh, that allows us... Translate. That's it. That translator. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. Who can who can really drive that communication as well? Yeah, and that's not to say that just because you've got a product owner, you can't go and talk to the business yourself. You should. Yeah. Go and talk to everybody. Yeah. Why not? And also, dog food, or use your own software if you build it, mm-hmm. and then have conversations with people in the business about how they're using it get that constant yeah. feedback the business is then uh, then a customer i like it uh, you don't um uh, nobody will solve problems faster than going through that pain uh, 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 the same pain as a customer you know if you're if you um if your software isn't necessarily great for example or if you're having problems you know you build a bit of software that's great i've i've built this amazing feature you give it to somebody else and they go, um, this is horrific to use. It gives me a migraine, uh, for argument's sake. Then there's a strong chance that your end users are going to feel the same way about it. So you could almost have an even shorter feedback loop by, by doing dog fooding. Which is interesting that that is effectively a conversation around point four, which is that business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. Now, the interesting thing about your description to, to Misha about, well, you should go and speak to business people, but it's kind of, if you, it's like the storming, norming and forming kind of thing. If you were to just keep the feedback open to everybody, then chances are you're going to get designed by committee. So I think in some respects, you need to find the right stakeholders and the right representatives of users groups rather than just speak to everybody in the yeah. you know that potentially is the end user of your product but it's very this is key to say the conversation should be open and it is collaborative which is what i think principle 4 is 
yeah i think that's that's a, that's a that's a much better refined way of saying what i was trying to say um obviously don't go and talk to everybody you know if you work at microsoft don't go and speak to the thousands of people that work there um you'll you'll never get anything done um but speak to your stakeholders speak to the people that care about the product speak to the people that have a vested interest in the outcome of the software that you are building speak to your demographic yeah yeah somebody's obviously thought about the wording of all of these why have they said daily on there and i'm guessing they don't <laughs> mean daily they mean regularly and if they mean regularly why didn't they write regularly because daily doesn't necessarily apply to everybody it could be that you only need to speak to people once a week or maybe it's once an hour depends on what speed you're going at i, I think daily is deliberate bearing in mind when this was written as well at that point uh, it was it was unusual that you would have a development team that included anything other than developers. You didn't have developers yeah. and testers. Um, product owner wasn't a, a job. You might have business analysts, but that wasn't it. So when you're talking about business people, that includes your product owner. Yes, you might not go wider than that regularly, but actually your product owner within your development team is probably speaking to the business, to the customers on a daily basis. If, if I rang my clients every single day to tell them what I was doing, they would fire me. <laughs> I can guarantee. I think, I think I think you're in a bit of a unique situation that compared to, to compared to at least the, the the other four of us here, Pete. In in terms of, you know, you you tend to work alone for for the most part, rather than within wider teams. Whereas if you're working within a a delivery team or working on a particular project with a number of people, you know, so where I where I work, we have stand ups with the client every day. You know, we include them in those conversations, those updates. Um, we we have that daily communication with the the end user. Um, and in terms of in terms of business people, you know, we we have uh, um, a project manager. We have um, a uh, like a, a product owner as well. Uh, the dev team, the the systems engineering guys. You know, we're we're all in there for a given project. Uh, just because I know that Louise likes a segue, how do you motivate your customer, <laughs> your business people, to get involved at that level on that frequency? Do you want the thing it that you're building to be, to be right? Well, yeah, but uh, they're busy running their own companies, potentially, or they're trying to do their own jobs, and they don't want to have to get involved with what you're doing. So they, they need to trust you to just get on with it uh, and give them what they want. Obviously, it's within everyone's best interest to talk to them regularly enough. Um, but it could be that you could speak to them too regularly for their own good. Uh, and it, this goes all the way back through, and certainly to number two, is that the more opportunity you give, certainly some customers, to change, they just take it, whether they ought not to or not. I'd say that the business people aren't necessarily your end customer. So in your case, the, the business people you might be talking with daily might be the wider development community, Stack Overflow, Microsoft MVPs, people you might be looking at to, to find a wider range of doing things. It's a slightly different environment that you're working in than this was probably aimed at. So yes, you might want to change that frequency slightly. Uh, we've talked before that we probably don't necessarily follow everything perfectly in any company anyway. But I think in this case, business people isn't 
end customer. I mean, I've not always been self-employed and the company I used to work for, I think even then, um, when we were working on projects for them, we would have been, we would have faced a fair amount of pushback if we tried to get them involved heavily. They, they tended to tender for projects and get a price and our job was to do what we needed to do. And we did deliver stuff frequently enough to them generally we would give them a, a prototype machine because it was hardware we were dealing with and the software would then be delivered on a reasonably frequent basis but we wouldn't uh, get in touch with them every five seconds to say we were going to do something which really didn't affect too much the end product that could take a year to do but we did get in touch often enough when we got parts of it done that we could show them where we got to but certainly we would never have uh, even thought about approaching them once a day to tell them about stuff. But, uh, and does it come to how big the project actually is as well? Does it speak to that as to how often you need to be speaking to your business people in that respect? And then does it all come all the way back down to really we're just talking about me talking to my boss? And that's really what they're talking about rather than my boss talking to the, the business people he's dealing with. You're not really talking to you to your boss, though. You're talking to uh, the rest of your team potentially. You know, business people can count owner. as the rest of your team. The product owner, yeah, the scrum master. If you have, I think, those. I think in a lot of cases, the product owner is your proxy for the business mm-hmm. within the team, and you should be speaking to your product owner daily. Mm-hmm. They're a core member, and of the he's team. the business they person be in your stand-ups. Um, not the developer. Can yeah. be. I mean, there should be. There should be wider than that as well. But on the daily basis, for a for a development team, that probably is your conduit to the business it's back to your point though pete i mean it it depends on the the frequency of update depends on what you have to either unblock by getting a a steer or something to demonstrate to say progress has been made so the frequency of daily again louise's point about it's a one-size-fits-all term but we are the whole point of agile is to to be flexible about how we use these tools i think this brings us very nicely back onto the first point (laughs) which is to satisfy the customer yeah, it could be that the customer doesn't want to to be communicated that that often with that often, and that is fine. It it can present some issues in terms of development. You know, you you it it could introduce. You know, I've now done six months of work, and now the customer only wants to be communicated with six months in, and then we realise we've done it all wrong. You know, that's 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 a risk. That's um, I mean, that's an extreme. Uh, that's an extreme example, but. You know, it, it, it's it's possible. You made a really good point there about blocking, and, and that's a completely s- different set of circumstances, in my opinion. Certainly, if if me as a developer, if I as a developer, get blocked, then yeah, I'm all over it. I'm going to ring. I'm going to get in touch with people. I'm not going to sit there blocked as far as I possibly can. I think that's different to, oh, this is you know, it's almost like doing a stand up, like you've just said, with the end customer. Sometimes you don't want to give them too much because it might be days and days before they see you actually doing anything, and then they think, "What are we paying these people for?" Uh, so, well, and that's that's fine. Well, that still counts as to me. That still counts as communicating uh, between the business and the developers, right? If I'm blocked, I'm yelling about it, and I need to 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 be able to do something. I need to talk to somebody around. Yeah, that's that's different. Um, so we have managed to accidentally cover four points rather than. 
uh, just the one like we're intending, uh, which is which is great. You know, we we could talk about this stuff for for days on end, and this is this is why we have this podcast uh, so that you can listen to us talk about it for days on end. Um, but we want to keep it in in some fairly succinct chunks so that you know it isn't like listening to an audio book, I guess. But maybe one of those will come <laughs> one day soon as well. Uh, talk to us. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's go through a few quick key sort of takeaways from the, from this. Uh, from these four points let's start uh, with you Jonathan it's I think the first four that we've covered are clearly to me talking about clear communication with your customer and I think it's about the frequency of that happening and just validating that your assumptions are correct that's my takeaway from the first four Uh, Misha yeah I would echo that yeah specificity and language being on the same page build a rapport satisfy them understand what will satisfy them and what won't and uh yeah you're golden please i think for me it's it's been very much uh, focus on the customer get a wide range of people involved it feels we're all pretty much agreed on the importance of communication not necessarily the frequency but certainly the importance of it Uh, and i think uh, i think the frequency of deliverables that some of these points talk about is a form of communication this is what I've done so far. Is it right? And it's kind of as clear a communication as you can have. Here's what your software will look like. Uh, and also, this is the first time that I've thought of the difference between hypothesis and assumptions in the deliberate way we talked about. I found that was really useful for me. Um, and Pete? Uh, yeah, I've got to agree with what Louise said. Um, really making sure that you're on the same page with the customer. Uh, because yeah, you, no one's going to be happy if you spend a long time developing something that they don't want, uh, and often they don't know what that is until you give them something to begin with. So the more frequently you can do that, the better. Cool. Uh, I mean, my, for me, my my personal takeaways are that, uh, as always, from from a from a DevOps standpoint, it is an evolution of these principles. It's it's a great way to live some of these. You know, putting the the customer. F- Front and center should be at the heart, in my opinion, of every piece of software development that there is. That could be to do with an infrastructure change. It could be to do with a pipeline change. It could be to do with a new feature. Through the end-to-end thing, does whatever you're doing add value to the customer? And can you verify that it's added value with the customer? Uh, so uh, thank you once again for listening to the Agile Engineering Podcast. Uh, you can let us know your thoughts on these four Agile principles, uh, or you can suggest topics for discussion yourself by getting in touch with us on Twitter on at AgileEngPodcast, or you can go to our website, AgileEngineeringPodcast.com, or contribute directly to our GitHub repo, which is github.com slash AgileEngineeringPodcast. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time.